This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And... As long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There is no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. It's got great odds and markets for Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, PGA Tour, and so much more. And of course, boxing, which is why you're listening to this. It is awesome with new and existing user promotions. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. It's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay, and you can discover the most popular SGPs each day right when you log in. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so that they know that I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. We are into July. Good month of June. We've got an undisputed lightweight champion in Devin Haney. Some good fights in the month. And now we're deep into uh, these summer months. You know, the summer used to be a time when boxing basically took it off, decided not to do fights during the summer. Now you've got a pretty heavy, heavy lineup. You've got uh, Dirk Chisora back in action over the UK in a couple of weeks. You've got Ryan Garcia back in the uh, mid-July time frame. And then, of course, Anthony Joshua back in the ring in Saudi Arabia on August 20th. Let's talk about that and much more. My guest this week, uh, Jamel Herring, former 130-pound champion, and Jake Donovan uh, from BoxingScene.com. Fellas, thanks for joining me. What's going on? Everything's good, Chris. It's, it's good to see you, speak with you about um, current events in boxing. Like you mentioned, usually sometimes pretty quiet, but there's a lot of good things coming up. It's always good to see my, you know, my fellow brother, Jake as well. So it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be a good episode. It's going to be a lot to talk about. Yeah, no question about that. All right, I want to start with what we saw last weekend, where we may have seen the birth of of a new star in boxing. Uh, Jesse Bam Rodriguez, he notched the biggest win of his career, stopping Sri Sakatso Rungvisai in the ninth round of his super flyweight world title fight. It was Bam's second win at 115 pounds and second straight over a luminary in that weight class after Rodriguez right. outpointed Carlos Quadras back in February. Jamel, I'll start with you. What did you think of Jesse's <clears throat> performance? Oh, uh, great, great performance, great performance. Um, definitely his coming out party, and and, he, and he's only he's only getting better. You know, what I mean, from his, just just talking about his last two fights alone, you you clearly see the talent, but he's 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 still young enough to where he can develop more, get better over time. And I know he mentioned about you know, going, you know, down a weight class. But I feel, I feel as if, you know, he should, get, especially in those low weight classes, it's kind of risky, you know, in terms of um, the right exposure or, or, or purses. So I feel as if he, his talent, you know, he should be able to go where the bigger fights and the money is at. And I think he should stay where he's at, even now at, at 115 pounds. Jake, I wasn't surprised that Bam won. I was surprised that he knocked Sorongasai out and won right. every single round 
of that fight. I mean, I knew he had the skill set, but the power he showed at 115 pounds, that really surprised me. Yeah, I, I'm with you right there. The funny thing is he kind of told us before the fight what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. In my mind, when he said it, I said, okay, he's going to box him a little bit. He's going to feel his way around. Second half, he's going to pick up steam. So Rongvise is going to fade and then he's going to knock him out. Like you said, none of us expected just to do what he did, you know, in, in that you know span of time. It was, it was just breathtaking to see. It was, we, we got the taste of it when he fought Carlos Quadros. You and I were both there, obviously. I think, you know, he even acknowledged too. It was six days notice. He was training for a flyweight fight, bumped up, you know, so it was a good solid win when he beat Quadros, was able to drop him, but then went 12 rounds. This was like his full training camp at 115, like you said, against, you know, boxing royalty at 115. And doing something like so, Rungvis, I think the last time he was stopped, it was maybe the second fight in his career. I know he, he had that rough start in his career, but he's like I said, he's gone through the divisions elite since then. And yeah, just to do what he did. I mean, it, it's crazy that like every week we're saying like we got to do a new pound for pound list. This guy's in the top 10. Like I even said, I'm giving up on pound for pound list. But like just as far as the eye test goes, I'm hard pressed to find a more talented guy in the sport than Bam Rodriguez in a way. You know, obviously you got to throw Canelo in there, but like just for across the board, it checks every checks off every box. Bam Rodriguez is at the top of that list. Yeah, and Jamel, it, it shouldn't be surprising that a 22-year-old showed improvements. But, you know, when I watched the Quadras fight, I saw a fighter that had skills but had some bad tendencies, right? He stood in front of Quadras a little bit too much. I mean, I, I was sitting ringside, and I can distinctly remember hearing Robert Garcia a few feet away just screaming at Bam not to stand in front of Quadras. So that's what made me think this was going to be a close fight and that Sorungvisai had a pretty good chance of winning uh, this fight. But against uh, Sorungvisai, that was a different Jesse Rodriguez. That was a Rodriguez that didn't stand in the pocket, that showed angles, that hit and then moved off to the side and completely flummoxed the far more experienced fighter. I mean, how much improvement did you see in Bam? Um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's great that you're putting it out in terms of um, he looked he looked really good in, in his fight before his last fight, of course. But the fact that you have pointed out how he all he you know he he was he was more experienced enough to make a, adjustments, even though he came off a good win, he still knew there was things that he could work on in the gym, and he came back and he put it all together and. He had probably one of the best performances of, of his career. I mean, and, and like you said, a lot of sometimes a lot of these younger fighters, especially at around 21, 22, 23 years old, you know, if they win, they continue carrying those habits. Whether they're good or bad, they'll still carry those habits to their next fight and so on and so on until it catches up to them. But for a young fighter to actually, you know, he, he said he had a good performance, but, you know, to go back to the drum bar and then, then put on a greater performance against a real solid, um, world champion in, in his own right. That 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 tells you right there. Like like Jake said, this this kid Mark, he checks off a lot of boxes, and you know he's he's only going going to get better if he keeps continues having that same mindset and work ethic. Yeah, whenever Jake, I see a fighter kind of step to the side and throw punches. It reminds me of Lomachenko. It, it's right. lofty praise, but that's the kind of what defined Lomachenko and still defines Lomachenko uh, during his career. And, and Bam having. A little bit of that is 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 good for him as he moves forward. Now, to Jamel's point, like they're talking about moving to one twelve, and I had this fight with Sergio Mora, who, <laughs> as I pointed out to him, like Sergio, you're the king of horrible financial decisions. So I'm not surprised yeah. that you you decided to you're, you're advocating for Bam to move back down to one twelve. Like for what? Like, right. are you really counting on Julio Cesar Martinez, who might be like a a welterweight at this point. Like, right. you're really counting on him making 112 pounds 
and being available for that fight. And besides Martinez, like, who cares about McWilliams Arroyo in a fight? Who cares about the other title holders? I mean, Sonny Edwards, I, it doesn't really do anything for him. Like, to me, I know what Bam is doing because he wants to be deferential to his brother, Joshua right. Franco, who, you know, who's who's going to fight, uh, presumably, Juan Francisco Estrada at some point. And I think there's a part of Bam Rodriguez that wants this to be, you know, Josh's division. Like, he'll take 112 and Josh takes 115. The problem is Josh hasn't won at the highest level yet at 115. And Bam's sitting there, presumably with a golden opportunity at some point in the next six months to face Chocolatito. And for the people out there like Sergio, who are saying like, let's, you can wait that, let let that fight marinate, uh, put it off for a little while. How many fights does Chocolatito have left? Like somebody's going to get him like at some point. He looked great in his last fight. But somebody's going to get Roman Gonzalez. So, uh, to me, Jake, he's got to stay at 115, and he's got to go all out to make that fight against Chocolatito. You know, I, I'm with you on that. I had this discussion with Keith Attic as well, our, you know, our, uh, the senior writer at Boxing Scene. I'm a senior writer. He's the senior writer. But, um, no, he even said, too, he's like, what, how crazy can it be? Why wouldn't he fight, you know, Estrada? Why wouldn't he fight Chocolatito? I had this discussion with Bam and with Joshua both in April, and I get their divide-and-conquer mentality. So, Josh, back in April – Josh thought he was going to fight Estrada, hopefully by June. Golden Boy won the first bid. It was really supposed to be by July. So now they're talking about maybe September. So that fight is still out for Ben. He told me that he's close enough with Chocolatito where it'd be almost like fighting Joshua. So that's why he's hesitant about that fight. He said he would, but it'd be like a last-ditch option. So I get why he would want to go down to 112, fight a Junto Nakatani. They both would take him. It seems like it's an easy fight to make. Nakatani was ringside for that fight. Mr. Honda seems to really love the idea of that fight. I'd like to see Bam fight someone in, in between, and then maybe that's a, a New Year's Eve fight. You know, they do big traditions in, uh, you know, in Japan every New Year's Eve. Eddie, obviously, you know, he, he's making, he's finally coming around in the U.S. I think people are finally realizing the global vision he has. But his bones are in the U.K. Maybe, jo- you know, Bam becomes a big star in the U.K., put him on a global tour. I'd, I'd have to imagine Eddie bringing Bam to anywhere in England. That would be a massive event. So I get why Bam believes time is on his side. Let give Joshua that chance, even if it's a chance to fail. Like let's say Joshua loses to Estrada, then Bam can jump right back in. Then he gets to fight Estrada, you know, avenge his brother's loss, and then go straight to the Chocolatito fight. So I get why he says he wants to move around, and maybe he feels more comfortable at 112 too, because we've seen him grown into 115. I can see him shaving three more pounds and, and really running the the tables at that division. But to your point too, the sexiest fight at that weight is Julio Cesar Martinez, and it's. That dude is like, his credit is exhausted at this point. I know there was very, very loose rumors that maybe you slapped out on the Canelo Triple G card, but how do you trust him? He's already bailed out of two Canelo shows so far. So that's that's a dangerous proposition. And bam, you have to keep the line moving. You, you, he's 22. You, you can't keep him idle for six, seven months waiting for guys to be ready. Julio Cesar Martinez couldn't make 115 in the last fight. Like, I, I don't know why we would ever assume that he could right. make 112 uh, for a world title fight. I know he was, I, I don't know firsthand, but like him being sick, uh, you know, I, 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 haven't, I haven't found a lot of people that <laughs> affirmed that. It seemed like uh, weight uh, weight was the, the greater issue. I, I like, I just, oh, first of all, to your point about where BAM fights, I think they're committed to San Antonio. Like they're going to go back to the tech port center arena, whatever the hell the name of that place is. They're going to go back down there, I think, before the end of the year and put Bam back in there and keep trying to build him in that region. And Eddie, Absolutely. you know, look, he is UK-based, but, you know, with Devin Haney gone, Demetrius Andrade likely gone, he doesn't have a lot of headlining options in the U.S. And I think Bam Rodriguez 
is right. going to be uh, that guy. J- Jamel, like, you know, I mean, how, you're, I know you don't have a brother that's on the level of a Josh Franco, but like, what do you think when you, you have like the little brother kind of deferring to the big brother there? I mean, does at some point do the Rodriguez and the Francos have to get together and decide what the best business is for the both of them? Right. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, you know, this this is nothing new to us, though. Like, we've been in this this conversation before where, where brothers, like, we had the Klitschko's, and they've they seen the stay out of each other's paths in, in the same division. The Charlos has, um, you know, come to mind as well, even though before, you know, one one moved up and one, but they for, for a long time, they were both at 154, 154 pounds, and they were still you know, collecting belts and doing what they had to do. So I don't see why we, we can't do this at 115. And like you pointed out also, Chris, um, Joshua still hasn't had that, like, that real marquee-type fight yet. You know what I mean? He's a good fighter. And I like I like Joshua. But, like, at the same time, right now, Bam is who's hot right now. If we're being honest, Bam is hot right now. And Bam actually is in a, in a, in a position where – he could actually fight those 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 bigger those those bigger names in, in either at one fifteen or one twelve, and and we also got to take consideration how how the, the sanctioning bodies look at, at times. You know, you got the WBA regular. No one like we we seen it like um Devin Haney said it best. The, the guys like um Tank Davis, hey, throw that belt in the trash because no one's really no one's really calling for it. So I feel like right now, you know, Bam is um is in a real great position. To, to really do great things just in 115 alone. Of course, like you said, 112 is, is kind of to me like a gamble because like you said, you got guys who, who couldn't even make weight at 115. Where you, can't, you, know, you can't, can't, you can't like put a, a, a car together around it and expecting them to, um, to make 112. And, and then um, also, you know, just, just also on top of that, it's like, um, I, feel, I feel like what you said earlier again, he showed a lot of power at 115. What's to say if he rolls back down and wait, if that power, you know, doesn't carry with him when he, because, you know, two, three pounds can make a big difference. You know, you see from 130 to 135 and his fighters look totally different just in those weight classes alone. The same thing goes for the low. It's like those three, four pounds make a huge difference depending how the fighter actually cuts. Sometimes a fighter, yeah, they'll get down to 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 one fifteen, but maybe that's all they can get. That's all they can they can push out. They can't even push down to one fourteen, and before they start losing power and feeling weak and things, I think so. I'm like, if you feel good at one fifteen and you look great and you're strong, stay where you're at. Why risk it? Unless unless it's some really big money down there, like like you guys pointed out, like guys like Eddie Hearn, if you wanted to take like the um the Sunny Edwards fight, it would have to be big, but it would probably have to be over there because you know obviously like like you pointed out, Chris. Um, Eddie knows for him, he doesn't have the marquee names in America. So you would have to try to build that type of fight overseas over there. Yeah, and I'm not too worried about like Bam making 112 and how his body reacts to it. I mean, he's 22 years old. He could basically eat Tupperware right now, he'd be fine. Like he's just his body's able to handle pretty much everything at this point. Um, I, I just I don't see the money being down there um if he wants to go to 112 and if there's a world title he can get before the end of the year great i mean i know robert garcia said on his youtube show recently that he wants bam to fight twice more this year once in september and once in december that might be a little pie in the sky in terms of availability but he he made the point that the purses in these lower weight classes they're just not that big at least not compared to the higher weight classes so to get this guy paid you've got to keep him busy and you've got to get him in those big fights so Put him in a fight at 112 if you want before the end of the year. But then first quarter of 2023, get him back up. Get him into the 115s again and 
see what happens with his brother, whether it's Estrada, whether it's Chocolatito. There's got to be that big fight for Bam Rodriguez. He is too good and too yeah. much fun to watch for, for us not to have, have that happen. All right. The trilogy completing third fight between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin had its press tour this week. Canelo and Triple G came face-to-face in L.A., in New York, at Yankee Stadium. Canelo used the opportunity to call Golovkin an asshole, among other things. Uh, Triple G basically smiled and said he respected Canelo. Uh, Jake, what did you make of the Canelo Triple G press tour? <laughs> I got to say, I really dug the L.A. portion of it, um, especially like when they began it. Just they had them both walk out. When they had that, it had it been like a 90, you know, 100-second stare down, you know, before either one of them even said a word. I was like, okay, we're, we're finally back. Because up until that point, I think all of us is just like, fight, don't fight, just, you know, whatever's going on, just get on with your careers. Now we're finally back in this trilogy. And now we remember that, you know, Gennady, yes, he hasn't officially beaten Canelo yet, but, you know, he's the guy that came closer than ever up until Dimitri Bebo did it. Well, in between Floyd and Bebo. So there's still that dynamic where I keep going back to Manny Pacquiao and Juan Manuel Marquez, where Pacquiao had that terrific pound-for-pound run. Marquez was the one guy he just couldn't quite get away. He had two wins over him. Both of them were close. A lot of people thought he lost that second fight. The third fight maybe was a little wider, but Marquez still got him in the fourth, right? There's always that one guy that has your number. And it's very possible that Gennady Golovkin still has Canelo's number. I loved his poise throughout all this. So it's it, back to, you know, a little bit of the goofiness. I, I still don't understand. He understands all the questions. He, sometimes he, you know, he's going to speak through his translator. Sometimes he's going to speak English. So I feel like we're getting back to the old Gennady, but I'm definitely more into, you know, September 17th than I was maybe, you know, back in February. I, I think, I'm sorry, back in March when we all, you know, interviewed him when the fight was first announced. So I, like I said, the LA tour, like there was a lot of spiciness. Um, I still, a part of me still feels like Canelo is talking himself into that he hates Gennady Golovkin, that, you know, it's personal for him. I, I, I don't know if I just fully buy it. You know, I think maybe he just needs that rivalry, you know, in his mind. But Gennady, I, I think he's cool, calm, cool, collected. I love the fact that he got that fight in April. He got the big knockout win over Murata because I didn't want to see him going from Zarameta to just some complete walkover into this third fight. Now I'm a little bit more convinced that, you know what, maybe he can come back and it's going to be every bit as close as the first two fights were. I think that in 2019... Canelo hated Gennady Golovkin, like hated him because right. of all the drug yeah. stuff that came from Canelo, from Abel Sanchez. Um, yeah. He would not give Gennady that fight, which led yeah. to all the drama between Golden Boy and DAZN and eventually the split from Golden Boy and DAZN, briefly, however it was, uh, for Canelo Alvarez. So I don't think he hates him anymore. Doesn't like him, but doesn't hate him on the same level he did back in 2019 and I'm sure some of this is look it's a pay-per-view and we know guys do what they can sometimes to build up a pay-per-view and Canelo I'm sure he sees value in uh, getting as many eyeballs as possible as pay-per-view buyers as possible Absolutely. on that fight so to Jake's point though Jamel can Golovkin win I mean he's 40 years old he has looked like a diminished version of himself in his last four fights he's won them all but he has looked like a diminished version of himself. He's looked more and more vulnerable to the body since that Derevinchenko fight, and Canelo is one of the best body punchers in the entire business. Can Gennady Golovkin win this fight? I think I think he can, but of course you 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 have to lean more turn towards Canelo and a lot of you know just like I said, just in, in youth alone, and in terms of um you know not having so much wear and tear on his body, but. I think the reason why 
like a lot of us honestly are interested in this fight is based because of Canelo's last performance, if we're being honest. I mean, like I said, if you'd have looked at it, talked about this fight in like March and February, it would have been like, for what? Because you would have, like, we, like you just said, um, looking at Golovkin's last few performances, he hasn't, he hasn't been that, you know, that Terminator that they're just mowing through everybody as he was back in his HBO days when he, when he first came on the scene. So you, you, you look at the, um, you know, Devacheco fight, the, um, the Murado, you know, that fight and so on, you'd be like, okay, yes, the power is, is you know, still packs a good punch as an equalizer, but, you know, how much wear and tear can he, can he uh, endure? Like you pointed out, Canelo is great at basically not just beating your body up, but he'll beat your joints, your arms and everything. And Golovkin has a great jab, of course, that, that, that he used throughout the years, but, how, uh, you know, and, and if anything, I would say, looking at Cano's last fight, he probably would go back to using that jab a lot because Bebo offset Canelo with the jab. But again, um, it's still, it's still like it's still hard. It's still hard for any of us to like basically root or, or go against, you know, or bet against Canelo. But um, I, I, to what you guys were saying, I think that. They don't hate each other, but I believe that this taste is real. <laughs> you know, like I believe, he, like Canelo really doesn't like him. Like I mean, we we seen we seen we seen Canelo be very vocal about other fighters as well. Such down, you know, Ryan Garcia didn't, didn't he, you know he didn't hold back on him either. So you know, this is I think Canelo's been for the most part he just had a chip on his shoulder because of the last fight, and that's what's bringing a lot of interest to us wanting to see how he looks against a Golovkin coming up, coming up a loss. Cause you know, it's still, it may not be Golovkin from five, 10 years ago, but it's still a big fight. And of course, you know, us just being as fans, we just want to see, you know, how now, how it plays out knowing that we say, okay, Canelo, you know, he, he, he's not Superman. He is, he, even though he has, he did lose a Floyd Miller, but Floyd Miller is Floyd Miller, but at the same time I'm saying like, hey, you know, this guy may be taking this, you know, might be taking a foot of the gas himself and a step backwards. So we just want to see where he, where he goes into, you know, in September. Jamel, let me ask you one other thing on this. This fight's going to be at 168 pounds. How right. big a deal is that to you? Like, how much does it matter that Golovkin is moving up in a positive or negative way? Does it matter? No, no that's, a, that's also a huge deal because a lot of people, including myself, I felt that 175 was just, it just Canelo's cap. It's just too much. It's too much. But at 168, that's when he had that spectacular 2021 at. Um, again, Golovkin's most of his entire career has been at you know middleweight, and you know that that those eight pounds it can be it can be a huge difference. And and it's funny how you have to say looking at that though, Canelo would be the bigger man going into the third fight. At one point in time, we people you know we all looked at it as Canelo being the smaller fighter in the first two fights against Golovkin, but this time around. You know that the weight, the weight, in my opinion, it, it, it makes a huge difference, and I believe that this is more of a better fit for Canelo in terms of, um, you know, bringing his um natural ability because he just looked a lot flat against the Bebo, like he couldn't get his footwork together. Um, he was he was basically stuck, you know, why why he was being fired on, but I believe that we'll get that 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 uh, well at least a glimpse again of the, of the Canelo that's very defensive and very you know has has great upper upper and lower body movement. Jake, um, for the legacy of Golovkin, like how important is this fight? Like I, I've I've become obsessed lately with the Hall of Fame because we're we're kind of entering an era where 
guys are going to have glossy records, multi-division world championships, right. but they're not going to be Hall of Fame level fighters. Uh, Golovkin to me is interesting because I, he was avoided for a lot of years when he was coming through the ranks. Guys were doing everything humanly possible not to fight him, including Canelo, who put that fight off for a number of years before he eventually right. stepped in the ring with him back in 2017. But if you run down the list of Gennady Golovkin's best wins, Daniel Jacobs, probably at the top of it. David Lemieux, certainly there. That was a good win at the time. Uh, you can certainly argue that he won that first fight against Canelo Alvarez. Some abhorrent scoring in that fight prevented him from getting a win. Like, is this important for Golovkin's legacy? I mean, whether it's Hall of Fame or otherwise, like, what does a win or a loss do for him? You know, that's a great point that you uh, raised, Chris, because I think you and I kind of see his resume the same way. It's like once he's on that ballot, it's like, does it, a lot of writers, you know this too, we sit in press row, like I think there's a lot of people who already had him in the Hall of Fame years ago. They bought into that, you know, the whole HBO hype train. There were. Just, yeah, exactly. And I think they're still there. So I think their minds are already made up. So in that regard, like, I don't think he needs a win here to get the vote across the board to get into the Hall of Fame. You know, again, for guys like, you know, the way you and I think, I, I want to see this win. I want to, I think it's important to him to get this win definitively because most people, you know, I'm sure he believes it's to this day. He believes he won both fights. Most people had him winning that first fight. I, I actually had both fights scored the same way as the judges. But in the first fight, I was like, I had a draw. You put a gun to my head, get out of Golovkin, won that fight. And probably by, you know, 116, 112. The second fight, I, I thought he really let that one slip away. And that's eaten away at him for four years. And, you know, going back to Canelo in this whole thing, whether he hates him, he doesn't. I think he did hate him to the point where, like you said, he didn't want to give him that opportunity. Now it's four years later. So it's like, does it even matter? Like if Golovkin loses, it's it's almost like he's playing with house money because no one is expecting him to win. But I think in his mind, he absolutely needs this win just to, he can actually retire after this. I don't know if he will, but I believe for himself, this is like, he needs this win. Canelo also needs a definitive win over him as well, though. He can't have another close fight like he did in the first or second fight. And if it is as close as the first or second, there's a very good chance it won't go against him. Maybe, you know, we finally get that makeup phone. Gennady gets it in a fight where they probably thought Canelo gets a close win. So I, I do kind of feel like this would be like, you know, Gennady would be best served to like, just go all in and it, it, however close or, you know, wide get this win to put that stamp on his career that he is a, a truly an all-time great and justified, you know, really 10 years of hype surrounding his career. I think if he wins, he's a lock. For the oh, long 100%, 100%. He might be a lock. Some people might have him a lock already. I don't at this point because it's, it's just resume. You are what your resume says you are. Like, it's yeah. as simple as that. Like, you you beat top guy. I don't care if you have five losses, 10 losses. If you've <laughs> won a, a, a series of big fights... You belong enshrined amongst the best. Golovkin, for reasons that, again, were not entirely his fault. Guys were ducking him. He was willing to take less money to fight guys over the years, whether it was Sergio Martinez or Miguel Cotto, all those guys, he's willing to do it. Um, couldn't get those fights, but this is an important fight, I think, for Gennady Golovkin's legacy, no doubt about it. Yep. All right, speaking of press tours, it's the press tour podcast now. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk completed theirs this week with stops in Saudi Arabia and in London to promote the rematch between Joshua and Usyk for the three heavyweight titles that Usyk took from Joshua last year. Among the bigger topics was Joshua's corner, which will include Robert Garcia for the first time. Here's Garcia on partnering with AJ. 
You know what? It's a big challenge. I, obviously, you know, I've worked with heavyweights before, but never had a heavyweight champion of the world. And this is uh, this is uh, the hunger that I have to be to have a, a heavyweight champion of the world. So I'm doing doing my job, doing the best I can to to prepare him to uh, to to come up with the win. You know, myself and Angel Fernandez are, are working together, and uh, and we're we're both on the same page. You know, we're not we're not uh, working against each other. We're working to to do the the right job and to get the win. You know, now that I'm working with him. Anthony has great reach, great jab, great straight right hand. So we could also use those punches. You know, we could also fight. You know, not box, but fight on the outside. You know, we don't have to fight on the inside. We we don't have to brawl to 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 win this fight. I think uh, we just have to fight a smart fight. You know, a smart aggressive fight. Jamel, I'll start with you because you have very recent experience with adding a new trainer or bringing in a new trainer to your corner. How significant is it that Robert Garcia is joining this team and? Is it a good move to shake things up so close to such a significant fight? Um, it's I feel like, I believe it's a good move for change. I just don't like I honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't like the um the circumstances of the move though. I mean, Robert Garcia, Robert's my guy. Robert is a, is a hell of a trainer, a great trainer. I just don't fit like being an athlete, sometimes you gotta take, you know, like trainers, they feel like they gotta take a fighter out of their comfort zones. And I don't like the fact of Robert having to go over there to train him because it, it kind of reminds me of basically like something like what um, Manny Robles had to go through in terms of um, Andy Ruiz, you know. And, let, and let me, the, Jamel, the, let me stop you right part. there. Like, I, I, I agree with you. I'll let you finish in a second, but I, I agree with you completely. Like, Anthony Joshua should be in, what is it, Riverside now? He's out there. He should be in Riverside. Like, it's, you put Anthony Joshua in Riverside, can walk around and nobody's going to know who he was. Like, I, I remember an anecdote that Eddie Hearn told me about AJ when he went to visit uh, Eddie Reynoso's gym in San Diego, where AJ was outside working out in the park. People just walked around. They're more likely to think he's a linebacker for the Chargers than, than he is, <laughs> like, the heavyweight champion of the world. It's as simple as that. Like, in the UK, Anthony Joshua is still Anthony Joshua, the biggest star maybe in all of UK sports. In the U.S., he can operate largely at anonymity, and I think he needed that going into this fight. And but focus, and he can, and fo but but focus—that's that's the main thing. Focus. I mean, basically, in simplest term, if you just go go watch Rocky Three, <laughs> when when Rocky was training, and he had the whole you know like the whole world knew who he was, and, and you know they told him, "Hey, let's go back to blood, sweat, and tears." You know, but he wanted to you know do it for the people. I feel like I'm not saying that Anthony Joshua is a demon like that, but I feel like. Sometimes when you, if you're trying to get back on track, and especially coming up, coming up with two weeks where you want to get your belts back, I think he should have went to Robert Garcia instead of having Robert come out there. You know, and I, I just don't, that's the only thing I don't like about it. Of, of course, obviously, you know, you have to still go with Usek just because of, um, you know, skill and fundamentals. But I think that um, Joshua put himself more, you know, more at a, at a disadvantage by, you know, not getting out of his comfort zone to really, get, you know, focus on his craft. I'm not saying he's not going to be focused, but I think he would, I think Robert will get a lot more out of him where there's not so many, like he pointed, not so many eyes on him and where they could just focus on the sport of boxing and the game plan. And then after everything out there, it was all said and done, then it's okay to go out there in public and do whatever you want to do. But that's just my opinion as, as a fighter. I, I never, if you guys ever know, I've, I've never trained like at home, home for anything. I always felt like I get the best of me when I just had to just, solely focus on boxing. I couldn't go out, hang out. Everything was just boxing for me. Yeah, uh, Jake, one of my other issues with the Joshua Corner 
is that while Robert Garcia was sitting next to Anthony Joshua in London, I still don't know who the head trainer is at this right. point. Because immediately after that press conference, I, I was watching on YouTube a gaggle that Joshua did, and he was talking about the addition of Garcia. And he right. said it was up to Angel Fernandez to decide who he was comfortable working with. So at right. this point, <laughs> I'm going to assume it's Robert Garcia as the right. man in the middle in the ring. But I don't know that to be true. And I'm not so sure how these guys are going to work together over the yeah. next couple of months when you really get down to it, to strategizing, to, I mean, and to listen, training listen, for Chris, And listen, listen, one thing, one thing um, is important. If, they, if there's no chemistry in that corner, it's not going to work. I don't care how much knowledge you may have behind you in terms of the team. If you guys can't get on the same accord and the same page, it's not going to work. And that's, that's with any sport. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, it's a great point you make. Weirdly, though, I was going to bring up another point where I liked the fact that, like, Robert Garcia went public was saying he was going to take the assignment with Anthony Joshua. One major condition was he had to be in the corner for Bam Rodriguez. That's his pop. That's the guy he raised from, you know, from a teenager. So I like the fact that he did that. Like, to me, that tells me he's at least trying to take control in the corner. But to your point, it's like, is he in, in full control of the corner? So you guys kind of got me swayed. And I was like, damn, maybe I had it wrong, that maybe he's not going to be able to dictate that to Joshua. And I do feel like with Joshua, something like this, a, a trainer switch is more, I, I think it's more mental. than It's not about like what he can do physically differently in the rematch. He has to fight a different fight, but I don't think Robert Garcia is going to like teach him too many new tricks, maybe just get him back to the way he was, but it's going to be more mental than physical. Um, in my opinion, I don't, I just don't know if it's going to make enough of a difference. Um, I feel like a lot of us feel the same way. Um, I feel like the Canelo Triple G is closer than most people think. But, like, I give – for some reason, I give Triple G a better chance of, you know, at this point pulling up the upset against Canelo than I do at Joshua getting revenge against Usyk. It's, he's definitely not going to be able to do the same thing he did against Andy Ruiz in the rematch and beat Alexander Usyk that way. So I, I understand that, you know, he lost that trust with, with Robert McCracken. He felt like, you know, he was, you know – left you know it was such you know weird quotes saying that you know they made it seem like he was like Muhammad Ali in that fight and that he thought he was winning and he was stunned you know at the end it's like I don't care what your corner is telling you at the end of that 12 round fight if you don't realize you just got your ass kicked then you know that, that that's on you so um I, I just I, I, but Jake I, I Jake I think it goes back to what you said earlier with Golovkin going into the third fight with Canelo in terms of just going all out I think Joshua needs to basically go back to that that you know that minute because the first fight, I feel like he tried to try to box a guy who's literally, you know, a, a masterful boxer and, and a technician, and it just didn't work. So I think he, I think he needs to go back to just being Joshua the bully again and, and, and just, you know, leaving it all well, in the ring. Jamel, this is – so that's interesting because Tyson Fury said this before the first fight with Usyk, and I've heard other fighters echo it since then. Joshua's path to victory – is going in there and trading punches, going to war with Usyk, using his physical tools. Now, that's easy for me to say because I'm just watching and maybe commentating on it, but like to stand in the pocket and trade punches with a guy who's not a huge puncher but is a very accurate puncher in Alexander Usyk, that takes something inside of you, doesn't it? Like don't like yeah. uh, that's my biggest question going in. Like I think Joshua knows he has to do that, but he has to be willing to exchange with Alexander Usyk, right. he got to believe. He got to, for one, he got to believe that he that he can keep up with, like I said, with with um, Usyk's speed and accuracy. And I believe um, one fight that always comes to mind with me in a situation like that, well, something similar is when Danny Garcia fought Amir Khan. 
Americon was 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 the was, was a, the faster, the more experienced fighter at that point in time. But um, like Danny knew he had to throw with Amir. If you if you because when you first the first two three rounds you seen it, Amir was just doing whatever he wanted, and um until a- a- Angel you know got Danny there and was like, listen man, you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta step to him and throw with him. And I feel like that's the same thing with um Joshua. Like he has to first of all, he has to believe in himself, but you know he can't he can't wait for the perfect punch. He has to create those openings. So meaning he has to either you know start off first or throw with Usyk to catch him in between the shots. And Jake. That takes me back a little bit to the Ruiz fight, where I wonder if Joshua's confidence in his ability to take punches is is questionable going into this. Yeah, I'm with you. And I keep going all the way back to the fight with Vladimir Klitschko, where he survived what was the worst moment of his career to that point, delivered the knockout in what was everyone's fight of the year. But after the fight, he made a point to say, I never want to be in a situation like that ever again. And for some reason, I feel like that's always stayed with him. Maybe it played a factor... Right. Maybe that did play a factor when Andy Ruiz dropped him for the first time after he dropped, you know, Ruiz seconds before that. So I, I do wonder if that part has ever left Anthony Joshua. That's the thing I want to see if Robert, you know, that's the part that Robert Garcia has to find a way to fix. And I, I don't I, I just I don't know if any training can fix that. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes the training can't fix it. Like I said, but the exactly. mental thing, I mean, a training could probably be talking through it, but it, right. you have to you have to want to feel as if you can get through it. And it's nothing, Jake. Uh, we actually. When you make that point, make that statement, we actually haven't seen still to this day a point where Joshua gets hurt again and how he recovers from it. Usually when he gets hurt, it's, 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 it's the beginning of the end. I mean, with the Klitschko fight, it happened, happened, you know, when it did, when he, and he, and he, you know, he, he did get it together with someone. But, like, since then, you know, with the Andy Ruiz situation, it's like one of those things, like, you see he's, he fights a little bit more cautious now. And he try, he actually tries to – to, to box, but it just doesn't, he just comes off real stiff and robotic at times. Instead of when he, when he was out there taking chances and throwing with the, you know, the bigger guys that, that were bigger than him at one point, he was throwing, he was throwing, exchanging with guys bigger than him. And, you know, and, and, and he felt, he felt confident about it, but now it was more like he's trying to be more strategic and tactical, but it just doesn't come off right. Yep. He, he can't outbox Alexander Usyk. Usyk is nope. not Andy Ruiz. He's not going to come in out of shape. He's not going to come in unprepared. He's not going to celebrate his victory. Hell, the guy spent part of his victory in the Ukraine helping to protect right. his war-torn country. So he's he's going to be focused uh, for this fight. I think it is. This fight's going to be won or lost between Anthony Joshua's ears right there. Yep. He's got to be willing Absolutely. to engage in trench warfare, to, to use a phrase, um, to, to win a fight like this. All right. Also this week, Mikey Garcia quietly announced his retirement, as only Mikey Garcia would on Instagram. Uh, Mikey has not fought since an upset loss to Sandor Martin last October. At 34, Mikey walks away a four-division world champion with a 40-2 and two record. Here's his brother and trainer, Robert, on Mikey's retirement. If he doesn't have the hunger to it, if he doesn't have the love for the sport anymore, definitely not because I don't want him to get hurt, you know. I don't want him to just go out and pick a fight and get hurt. If he doesn't have the love for the sport... Can he still do it? Yes, but if he doesn't have the love for the sport, no, I'm 100% with his retirement. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy that he made that decision. Uh, Jamel, you recently decided to step away from boxing. What did you think of Mikey's decision to walk away? Um, well, if you compare his, his career, Mikey's done a lot. I mean, he can, he can actually look back on his career and be happy with all he's accomplished. So um, kudos to him. And like I said, it was, it was, it was definitely... Um, 
surprising the way he did it. <laughs> you know, you had to go through, you had to, you had to go through, you know, the profile page and then to see what he, uh, you know, how he was feeling. But um, I, I don't think anyone will, you know, will bat an eye or think anything, anything of it. Uh, like I said, Mike Garcia. Yeah. Did it surprise you though? No, not no, not really. Especially like because he probably like I probably felt the same thing that he was feeling at the hit last fight. And with, with me, it's not really you guys see. I, I don't. It's not like I have like weight issues. It's like I think manager. It's just that like sometimes your body has gone through. Especially, and Mikey Garcia's been boxing since he was can barely you know can walk. So you know, see, just the years of wearing tear after a while, and from the amateurs to the pros. That could that you know that plays a, a big part in a lot of these a lot of fighters that I know of. You know, they're they're in their idea of retiring. So it, it didn't surprise me. It just surprised me to how it was, how it was, you know, announced basically or how the world found out. But I mean, after, after his last fight, when, especially when the guy, people thought that many thought he, should, he was just a tune-up bout and he should have just walked through him. You know, that kept in right, right there. Like, you know what? I just don't, I just don't have it anymore. I walked right past Mikey in San Antonio <laughs> last week. I should have just like asked him, like, "Hey, you still fighting?" <laughs> yeah. That was an opportunity missed What's to make some news <laughs> right there. Um, Jake, yeah. you know, Mikey, and, and I'm sure you know this because you've reported on Mikey over the years. You know, Robert Garcia has often told me that while Mikey was the most talented member of the family, he didn't love it as much as everybody right. else did. Like, you're not going to see Mikey Garcia start training fighters. I don't think. Right. Like, I, you're not going to see Mikey. <laughs> still in the boxing sphere. I think you'll see Mikey doing other things. Apparently he's got investments that have paid off uh, over the years. Apparently he put money on Bam Rodriguez too. So maybe he cashed (laughs) in on that check uh, right there. But uh, what did you think of Mikey's retirement? Because look, if you go back to that fight against Sandra Martin, that was not a fighter that still looked like he loved the sport. No, not at all. You know what's weird? It's like that almost defined his entire career because we always felt like, is he all the way in? Is he going to just, you know, box until he decides he wants to be a cop? Is he going to win a world title? Then just he always felt like a guy that always had another option, you know, waiting. And it like, yeah. And he didn't always know, like, you know, is he all the way in? I will say in that regard, though, he accomplished a hell of a lot in his career for a guy who, you know, doesn't live, eat and breathe boxing 24 seven. I mean, I know a four division champion in today's era is a lot different than, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, but yet he still beat some, you know, he at least beat four people who had a title to win those belts. He didn't win a vacant belt along the way. So he has accomplished quite a bit. I, I kind of love the fact that like we had to go on his Instagram and it's like, all right, was he hacked? I, I even asked his publicist, I'm like, Hey, is, is he retired? He's like, I don't know. I, I see it on there, but I don't know who wrote it. Like, and Robert didn't even know to that point, but yeah. So it's, I, I kind of like that. He just kind of slid out the back door. Um, I guess he just felt like he accomplished everything he needed to. If we go back to October 2020, when they had it called Mexico City, and Mauricio Suleiman is fat shaming him in the ring, talking about, you know, you're eating too many carnitas. And, right, that was, you know, at that moment, it's like, okay, is this guy ever coming back? Is he just fat and happy and going to slink off? So yeah, maybe he could have just retired at that point. Maybe the pandemic, you know, he had the win over Jesse Vargas. He could have just kind of now, faded off then. Question so. for y'all, though. Question for you two, though. Do y'all feel with, with his resume, is a Hall of Fame worthy? Yeah, this I was going to bring this up next uh, because it is he is he really is an interesting test case because he does have the four division championship label on his resume. That's top of the resume. And as you pointed out, Jake, he beat guys for those belts. But you dive into the resume. There's Robert Easter probably at the top of that list. I think that was one of not his best win. Adrian Broner, maybe his most high profile win of his career when he won that fight at uh, 140. There were a handful 
of others there. Uh, Dehan's Latichanin like was a good win. He blasted him out of there to win a title, though. Latichanin came back. When he came back, yeah. Yeah, he, he well, he, he, that that guy just basically fell off the map after that that loss. So uh, it's right. fair to wonder what he was at that point too. But like, you know, he lost the fight to Errol Spence. He had the upset loss to Sandra Martin. And for me, Jake, when I think of Mikey Garcia's career, it's a lot of what could have been. Like, what yes. could have been had he not taken two and a half years off, with, embroiled in that lawsuit against Top Rank? What could have Probably. been yeah. if he had just stayed at one thirty-five and fought Lomachenko? Like, in the Lenaris, waste bin of fights. It, it, uh, Lenars is fine, but like Lenars is fine though. Time. But to me, he was yeah, he was he was the man. But like Lomachenko <laughs> was there with titles at 135, and Mikey Garcia had the two titles at 135. Like Mikey versus Loma would have been a mega fight. I don't know who would have won that because Mikey at 135 was physically strong, um, yes, and Loma was Loma at that point. So to me, Jake, it's a lot of like what could have been with Mikey that yeah. makes me think maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know, I think of who a baseball writer is like, he's a guy that, you know, hit a lot of singles, hit a lot of doubles, maybe hovered around that 300 line, and maybe that gets him in. It, it's kind of like going back to Golovkin. It's like, is it longevity that gets him in? He's certainly accommodating with the media. And some writers, let's face it, that does, you know, if guys are on the fence, you know, if he's not a dick to you, yeah, you're probably going to vote for him. So that, that is my problem. It's like, I feel like every fight we've watched, like, I don't feel like we've ever sat in press row and said, wow, we're watching a Hall of Fame career. It's like, yeah, maybe he's on his way. But like, even when he beat Robert Easter, it's okay, his, his ticket is stamped, he's going to the Hall of Fame. And that's really the last great win of his career. You know, I mean, do you give him credit for moving up and fighting Errol Spence? He lost that fight 12 nothing. I can't say after the Jesse Vargas win, we're like, okay, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. So it's like, it's almost like we, now we have to sit back, evaluate his career as a whole. He has a lot of good wins, no real standout wins. Like, you know, you mentioned it, the Eastern Broner, especially doing those back-to-back and Lippinets. I mean, yeah, that was a nice little run. Um, I'm looking at the ballot now. I feel like if he retired, if you took his career and put it like at the time when Bernard Hopkins retired, when Marquez retired, it's like the guys that just got in these past three years helps his case. Because if he was up against those guys, he'd be on the ballot for quite a while. So now he really only has to wait out guys like Paul Frotch, um, Ricky Hatton. You know, I, I still want to see. Yeah, I, I still want to see guys like, um, you know, Junior Jones and, um, you know, Nigel Ben Christie. I feel like there's a lot of other guys you can kind of make a case for before we get him in. But I, I believe he will get in. He's not someone I would say, you know, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if it if it breaks right, you look at the ballot, what you know, the end of 2025 and the right names are on that. He, he, I think he eventually will get in. But. I'm with you, Chris. His career never screened like, you know, Hall of Fame resume. Great guy, a very accomplished career. You know, if, if he gets in, I think he will get in, but you know, it, he's definitely one of those borderline cases. He might have been one win away from stamping yeah. it. Like Regis Program. If he had fought Program and beat him, that, that might have swayed it, in my opinion. If he'd Absolutely. won a title at one, even for a non title, I don't care. Like Program at 140 <laughs> would have been uh, a quality win. Jamel, I know you're not a voter, but would you vote Mikey Garcia into the Hall of Fame? I probably, I probably would, but I basically going on what Jake was saying. Um, when you look at the other names on, on the ballot, he, he obviously wouldn't be the first one that you would choose from, especially when you, when the, the names that Jake, you know, had named off of. But, um, I think, I think it's, it's an argument down the road that, that he can, you know, he, that he can be, will be in the fall hall of fame. He just probably won't be, like I said, our, our, our first ballot pick, but I think, I think, you know, he, he'll be voted in eventually someday, especially for a guy oh, that, that doesn't have love for the sport. <laughs> 
and does, yeah, he's still doing great things. <laughs> yeah, and actually, well, it's it, it blew my mind that Bradley isn't in yet. He probably should be in. So yes, Bradley would go in ahead of them. Ivan Calderon, you could still make a case. Right. Joel Casamayor, Chico Corrales. I, th th there's quite a few names. We also need to have a separate conversation, Jacob. Yes, we do. Fame and and yes. why there needs to be three every single year. Like that, exactly. we need to have that conversation as well. One, that's going to start leading to guys that get in that don't belong. Uh, yes. in that hall of fame but that's another 100%. podcast altogether another <laughs> podcast. Uh, all right i want to finish with uh danny garcia the uh two division world champion who is back on july 30th at 154 pounds making his debut at 154 pounds he has not fought since december of 2020 been really inactive uh not really been on the radar since then here's danny garcia about making his jump to 154 well, you know, like I said, I like to fight all the champions, even like Tony Harrison. He, it'll be a great fight for me. You know, he's been around for a while. He's, he's a former champion, so I feel like he earned his stripes. And, you know, that would be, that would be a great fight in the future. Um, anybody at 154, um, Lara's called me out. I heard him call me out. So I think that I think he has a belt at middleweight, so we, we can do that fight. Or um, any of the champions. Well, there's only one champion, right, Charlo. So, if you, you know, so whoever. My my dream is to be a three division champion. So, in order to be a champion, you gotta fight and beat the best. So, there's really no secret to it. All right, Jamel, I'll put it to you. Can Danny Garcia be a player at 154 pounds? Um, yeah, especially especially honestly, I would say that based off of his circle and who he's with. If you're doing, if you if you if he's right now, he's with the PBC banner right now. All those belts are tied within. PBC, if we're, if we're being honest, um, shout out to um, Jamel Charlo. But I believe with the like him coming in now, obviously getting his feet wet within the division, you, we we all have seen it. He probably need one, maybe two wins before he, you know he, he gets a he gets a shot at whoever you know Al, Al you know allows him to fight over there. If, if Jamel still has all the belts or so, but I, I believe you know as long as he gets active again and just you know puts on. A win or two, I, I think. I think they'll give him. A, they'll give him a shot, and that's just how they operate over there. We, we've all seen it. It's like round robin. Yeah, Jake. Um, I, I don't know what we're going to learn against Jose Benavides um, right. on July 30th. That's a fight that Garcia, if he's close to his best, uh, should win. Uh, but he's an interesting name, at least yeah. at 154, and he sure sounds like a guy that's looking to make the big fights. And he's not just targeting uh, Charlo. He's mentioned Tony Harrison as someone he'd be willing to fight. That's an excellent right. fight. He's mentioned yes. Eris Lenny Lara. Yeah. I would love to see Eris Lenny Lara in with somebody with a pulse at, at some point. So Danny Garcia certainly fits the bill uh, there. So I, I like his attitude on all this. Yeah. I just don't know. It's, it, like He wasn't as big a puncher at 147 as he was yeah. at 140. Like Is he going to be a big puncher at 154? Yeah, see, that's my problem. I, you know, you just nailed it. At 140, he was the absolute man. We learned everything we needed to know about Danny Garcia. I mean, you talk about a guy who was on a Hall of Fame run. He had an incredible run just, I mean, getting to the title and then keeping that title. The guys he beat at 140, that was like his legacy. Then he got to 147, and then we start going back to, I hate to simplify how easy it is to win a title in this era, but he became a two-division champion in an era where, you know, 20 years ago, it might not have broken that way for him. And he, he was among, he was like the best of the rest at welterweight, never quite got over that bump. He was around the two away from beating Keith Thurman, around the two away from beating Sean Porter, but again, really didn't have that signature when he struggled at times with Robert Barrera. I mean, he didn't even look great against Brandon Rios until he had that spectacular knockout. So he, he had a decent run of 147, but it almost felt like, okay, we've seen the best. 
He's starting to fade away. I, I don't know what to expect at 154. I'm glad the first fight wasn't Tony Harrison because then we'd be discussing, okay, in the three years, do we put Danny Garcia in the Hall of Fame? Because to me, that would have been the other of his career. Tony Harrison, I feel like he got that space cleared in between his ears and he's all the way back. He's de definitely a dangerous threat to a lot of guys at 154, including Danny. So I like the fact that Danny's taking this fight and I'm not saying he runs away with it. I, I'm concerned about what we're going to see him at 154. I mean, Jose Benavides should be a safe pick. But, you know, if this is the, the fight where he finally, you know, becomes that guy that was a legend, you know, in the in the Southern California gym circuit, that could be a tough night for Danny. But should he, should it go chalk? A fight with Arizlandi Lara at 155, if he gets him on those turns, it is very interesting. I mean, Lara still has a little bit of fight left. If he can make 155 comfortably, that's, to me, that's a dangerous fight for Danny Garcia. Keith Thurman mentioned the same opportunity. I'd give Keith a better shot at that fight than I would Danny. So um, I just don't know what to, I don't see a championship run unless Jamel bails out of the division, you know, like within his next fight or two, gives up all four belts, you know, but even then, like Errol Spence will probably make his way up. You know, he's going to, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, I like Danny a lot. You know, again, another guy that's always accommodating with the media, you know, very respectful, love everything he's done outside the ring. He's made great investments. He, you know, he he feels like he's back in the sport. He has the passion. You know, he doesn't necessarily need it. But um, I, I feel like this is a last ditch effort. I I, I think he's going to top out at a Lara fight, even if he gets past him. I just, I don't know. I, I don't see him being a player at 154. But, but it goes back to what Chris said to me earlier, asked me earlier about it if he'll have a, a, um, a chance yeah. at being a player because look what you pointed out how, how, how his run at 147 was. When he got when he got there, you know, he didn't make the, the biggest splash, but he did mm -hmm. just enough to grab a belt or, or at least, you know, get, get, get a title shot and then get another, get a, a few of them right. with, with, the, with the guys of Errol, Sean, and, you know, and, and Keith. So I believe that, like I said, I just believe he just needs, he, he, he has a team where, Mm -hmm. He needs a one win and with a, with a with a decent name, you know, and mm -hmm. he's at least he's at least in contention or being talked about being the next, you know, um contender to contender to, to fight for the title at least. Right. The, you know, the other he, thing too is uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, but the, the other thing to consider too, Jamel, he has all these mandatories. Danny's best shot might be getting convincing some of these mandatories to maybe, you know what, why don't you fight Danny Garcia instead of fighting Jamel? So then maybe he fights Bakram. I wouldn't mind seeing Danny against. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Danny against the Tim Zoo because I don't think Tim Zoo is quite there either. He's not ready yet for Charlo, or this is as good as he's going to get, and he's just going to get slaughtered anytime he fights Charlo. So I'd rather kind of see that fight, and then maybe Charlo fights a Sebastian Fundora because I don't even like a Sebastian Fundora fight uh, matchup for Danny Garcia. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot Sebastian's a little looming around up there. <laughs> that's, that's a dull task for anybody, literally. I, yeah. I think there's a. I think there's a zero. I know. I don't care what Jermel Charlo signed. I think there's a zero point zero percent chance he fights Bakram. Like I don't. I just don't see that happening. Like it just, it's, it's not marketable. Like <laughs> it, it just, and you know, and who, uh, Bakram, you got what, how many step aside fights did he get? Like three, like three just take, right, you yeah. know, maybe he can fight for a vacant title and take a couple more bucks on that one. The question, Jamel, I have another question I have with Danny besides the size factor. Um, he took the last year and a half or so off. And I get that because I mean, Angel Garcia said this, like he robbed Danny of his childhood. Like he, he tried to turn Danny to this boxing machine and he spent a lot of time ingraining that in him. And Danny had a, a long run where he fought a lot of big fights. Um, so taking a break, I don't begrudge him that at all. I do wonder, though, it goes back to that old Hagler line of not being able to do the road work in silk pajamas. Like, does he have the same fire in his belly? Because you need that in this division. I mean, this is a division 
of straight killers. I mean, Jamel Charlo is at the top, but Tony Harrison, to Jake's earlier point, is hungry again, and I think he's got his stuff right. Fundora's a monster. Fundora just disfigured Erickson Lubin in their last fight, and he's an impossible guy to get to um, because of his size. Uh, you've got to have that fire burning uh, to win these big fights. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, we, you, we, you both know it. What they, what, what they say boxing is a poor man's sport because you got to mm-hmm. be hungry. you got to be hungry yeah. if you want to be successful in boxing. And he, like, if you watch Danny on social media like the rest of us do, he's clearly been living good. He's been, so he doesn't, <laughs> like, you guys point out, he doesn't, he doesn't need it. But so that, but that also brings the question is, like, again, is he still hungry for it? Because, um, for the most part, most of us got into boxing because we felt that it was our way out and our way, you know, to, to really see real income if we, as long as we kept climbing to the top. And it's like, you know, he's been there. He's been there. You know, he's, he's done really well for himself outside the ring. So it definitely, it definitely, um, you know, goes to, goes to say if he's um, really still hungry for it because, like you and Jake said, at 140, he was the man. You know, he was he was basically a monster. I mean, he 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 fought the you know he he demolished the boogeyman at the time with Matisse. You know, at that point back then, and but at forty seven, he hasn't had the greatest run. And it's not like okay, 50, 54, It just is 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 dominant and well is a, is a talent pool for um younger talent at that. So it, it just go. I think he he had to be at this point in time properly moved the right way if he's going to have at least that last run at a title. He can't. You know, he can't afford to go straight into, like I said, the Pandoras, even the guys like Tony Harrison, who, who's basically, you know, you know, reinvented their careers and things of that nature. He has to basically, you know, try to get what he can right now and then maybe seal that last title shot and, and then, you know, go into the wind, going, you know, sail into the wind. Jake, let me throw one more at you before we get out of here. Uh, MJ Akhmedalia versus Stephen Fulton. All the belts at 122 pounds. Give me the percentage chance we see that fight before the end of the year. I, I'd say pretty close to zero. <laughs> I, I want to, <laughs> Sadly, I agree. Sadly, yeah. I, I want to believe it can happen. The problem, again, is it's the mandatories that get in the way. So MJ still has at least one more mandatory, if not two. I think Crazy A is somewhere in the mix as well. So for now, you have, yeah, you, have to, you have to get the IDF guy to step out of the way. Sean Gibbons is involved in his career. So this, I put this on Twitter. I said, this is the moment where Al goes to Sean Gibbons and, you know, um, to Palace's team and says, give me a number, a step-aside number that I can go, you know, to match room with. Then you go to Eddie and say, hey, we're willing to have this guy stand down for this price and then we'll deliver Stephen Fulton, whether it happens on the zone or showtime. That is the only way I see the fight happening before the end of the year. I just don't believe it's going to. I think, I don't know. I, I'm more inclined to believe Stephen Fulton will wind up fighting in a way than he'll wind up fighting MJ. I hate to say either, it, but it's I mean, definitely it's, not. Yeah, it, it is funny. Like I was talking to MJ last week and I, we were talking about the Fulton fight. He's like, look, it feels like I've got five mandatories. Yes. Where Stephen Fulton has none. Like, yeah. He's like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> on that side of the street, but right. there's I'm all I'm caught up in all these mandatories. You're right. There has to be a conversation because that's the fight. And you know, for Fulton and Akhmedaliev, uh, Jamel, like y- you can't let promotional network issues get in the way either. You should tell these guys, whoever's yes. got the highest bid, Take make the fight happen because this is your Absolutely. probably best chance, maybe your biggest chance to make the most make a lot of money, you know, to make right. seven figure paydays perhaps as a headliner for an undisputed title. No, you're right. I mean, you guys say you guys right on the nail. And it's funny because, um, like Jake said, the mandatory sometimes are, are fighters' biggest enemies. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was a victim of that. Like, I was trying to, you know, get validated, and it's like, hey, when you again, right. boom. 
Nope. You got it's Stevenson. Nope. Not, we yeah. don't want to hear it. And it's, I mean, I never forget. As soon as I got the ring from the Frampton fight, literally the next day coming back to America, I had a letter from from the WBO. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we need a we need an answer <laughs> right now. So yeah, like like um again, it, sometimes um I, I got I agree. It's, you might have five mandatories already lined up, and it's just like hey. You gotta, you gotta deal with it. Or, or I tell, you, or, I tell you what, I don't know, I don't know who wins that fight either. Like I know Fulton's yeah. out there, said so easy work. I mean, Akhmadaliev is really good, and Fulton is. is really good too. Like that is a, a tremendous fight at 122 pounds, and the winner would, would really add something significant to his resume. So I hope that fight happens. Hope we're both wrong, Jake, and this fight happens yes, uh, before the end you. of the year. Uh, Jamel Herring, Jake Donovan, always good to catch up with you guys. Thanks for doing yes. the show. I appreciate it. Thank no you, problem, Chris. Chris. Thank you, man. When we come back, my conversation with Canelo Alvarez. Fight fans, take your best shot with $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. It doesn't matter if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out. New customers get an instant $200 in free bets on your first bet of $5. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. To get your $200 in free bets guaranteed, just sign up with the promo code BOXING on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Canelo Alvarez is the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world. On September 17th, he will look to settle a rivalry when he defends all four of his belts against a longtime nemesis. Gennady Golovkin, the unified middleweight champion, these two have fought two terrific fights back in 2017 and 2018. In September, they will look to settle their beef. That's a fight that you can watch exclusively on DAZN pay-per-view. And Canelo joins me here on the show. All right, Canelo, before I ask you about this fight with Gennady, it's been nearly 10 years uh, since you last lost a fight. How did you feel in the days after your loss to Dimitri Bivol? No, of course, it's hard to lose. For everybody, not just for me, and I'm 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 just sad, sad to for my second loss in my career. But it is what it is. Like a man, when you when you win, you celebrate and everything, right? You happy, and you need to accept when you lose, and that's it. Move forward and keep going. Uh, I try. Uh, I think I'm tried all the things, different things in, 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 in boxing. And, and that made me, made me feel good. Made me feel uh, proud of myself because I, I, I get in there with a big challenge for, for myself because I, I really don't need to do that kind of things because I'm doing all and I, in a position I can do whatever I want, but but I like that kind of challenge. And this this time, I I I, I lost, but I'm, uh, this is not the end. I I'm, I'm gonna move fo- forward, and I'm looking for for my next fight, and then I have I'm, I'm gonna have my 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 other chance. You know, in the ring after the fight, when I talked to you, you seemed to accept the fact that you lost. Uh, later mm-hmm. on at the press conference, you sounded like a man that believed. He had done enough to win. As you sit here right now, how do you feel about how that fight went? Do you believe that you did no, lose it? Look, look I, I think I, I lose in the two last rounds. That's my loss. And I get tired after six rounds. 
happened a lot of things in my training camp. But I, like I say, I don't, I don't make excuses. I lost, and and that's it. And it is what it is. So I, I'm very sad for that, but I'm very proud, proud of my of myself too. And nothing can do about yeah. it. Yeah, you you dared to be great in that situation, and all fighters should should aspire. For and like that. I say, and like I say, when you're looking for a greatness, uh, hard things is in, in in front of you, right? But uh, I'm gonna continue trying and trying and trying again because I'm not afraid to lose. Just 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 uh, I'm not afraid to lose. Uh, I'm gonna take that risk. Every risk I I, I need to to be great. You have said that the loss will actually make you a better, more dangerous fighter. Why do you believe that? I believe that because uh, I have more motivation. Uh, I just need to get back in the ring and uh, after my loss, and that made me more dangerous. And especially with this fight, because Golovkin talked a lot of things about me before. And and I don't like that kind of people to who uh, say bad things behind you and then when have you in front, uh, they pretend to be a nice guy or respect you. Uh, I don't like that kind of people. So uh, that's made me feel more motivated. I'm gonna train like never in my life. You could, you know, Eddie Hearn said recently that the day after the Bevel fight, he played golf with you. And you were angry. You said, I want the rematch. Get me the rematch. What changed in the days after that? Why did you decide to turn to this third fight with Golovkin and wait till later for the rematch? No, because we have that contract already. So it's a lot of things we need to change. And maybe uh, a lot of things happen in that process, right? And I think this is, this is the correct time for this fight. It's no other other time. This is the correct time. But after the fight, I say I just I just won the rematch in in September and I, and this. But I, we have that contract ready, so it's it's mm, nothing can do about it. So here's an interesting question. I think you know you're set for September. What do you want Dimitri Bivol to do between now and next May? Would you like it if he went out and fought Archer Betterbiev? For the undisputed title, or would you rather him take a safer fight and wait to fight you in May? Oh, I don't care. I don't care what he he's gonna do. I just want my 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 chance. Would it matter to you though if, if he had lost to Better Biev in between? Would that matter to you? I don't. I'm, we need to see, but uh, we need to see, right? But I think maybe I don't care. But uh, I, I I like he he keep winning. It's better for me. Be kind of cool to have him be undisputed at one seventy five. You undisputed at one sixty eight. That'd be that'd make that fight even bigger if that's even possible. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you haven't looked Gennady in the eye for about four years now. You did it in California, in New York, at Yankee Stadium. When you look at him now, what do you see? Oh. I see a guy in, in the floor and end his career. That's what I see. Why do you say that? Because I'm very confident about it. Because I I never feel like like today. 
You've said a lot over the years that guys just want paydays against you. It's become kind of a, a soundbite that people use all the time. Payday, payday, payday. Was was the reason we haven't seen the Golovkin fight until now because you didn't want to give him that payday because you were angry at some of the things he said? Could be. Could be. But uh, now, like I say, it's the correct time to make this fight and that people want this fight a long time ago, but I don't, I don't, I don't really need to fight with Golovkin because I accomplish a lot of things. I just busy fighting with the best out there with the champions. So, but we have this fight now, and I'm, I'm very motivated to get back and give the fans what they want. The first two fights were really good. They were really close. Is it important to you? to have a clear outcome in this fight, whether it's a knockout or a really wide decision? Yeah, it's, it's important for me to end this fight uh, before the 12 rounds. Uh, last thing for you, this has been one of the great rivalries of this generation. Do you think when this fight is over, you two will be friends? Do you think you'll shake I hands? Don't I don't think so. Maybe later. Years later, but not now, because uh, I think we we good after the second fight, and then he started talking a lot of things. So I I I don't I don't believe in him. Well, Canelo, you're one of the few guys that goes from big fight into big fight, and this one is right up there next September 17th, the Zone Pay Per View in Las Vegas. Good to see you, man. Look forward to seeing you out in September. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jamel Herring, Jake Donovan, and Canelo Alvarez for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.